Today's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians 14, verses 13 to 25. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. You may be seated. Thank you. As we get seated, let me pray for us. Gracious God, we thank you that you are really among us. So we ask that you would do a work in us by your word. Would you make your word live to us? Would your spirit apply your word to our hearts? And would you make your word live to the children downstairs? Would you be with the, the teachers and the helpers that they would see glorious things in your word? In your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Sam. I'm on the team here. I want to add my welcome to Brett's welcome. So, I receive a new message on my phone. I take a look and it says it's from Rogers, the phone company. The message reads, and you can probably guess where this is going, we apologize for the network outage in July. Here is a refund for your inconvenience. Please click on this link to receive your refund. Now, I am a Rogers user. I was heavily inconvenienced. I couldn't get an evil. <laughs> I click on the link. I fill in my credit card details and I press submit. I don't think twice about it and then I start thinking, wait a minute. They already have my credit card details. Why do they need my credit card details? And why did that link look so strange? And then I finally realized it. I've been scammed. It wasn't a message from Rogers. It was a message from someone pretending to be Rogers. And even now I can see people nudging each other to say, don't do what Sam did. <laughs> this person pretending to be Rogers, just wanted my credit card details. Long story short, I cancelled my credit card so nothing else comes of it. Top tip. 
<laughs> in case this happens to you guys. Except now, I am so suspicious of clicking on any sort of link on any sort of page. Anytime anyone asks me for my credit card details or any sort of personal details, I am so suspicious. And my point is this. Isn't that how some of us feel about spiritual gifts? Just a deep sense of suspicion, perhaps because we don't know enough about it, or we've been scammed by it, or we've heard horror stories about it. But that's on one end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum, there are those of us who are very comfortable with spiritual gifts. And so when we, when we see others who treat spiritual gifts with such suspicion, we get frustrated, don't we? Frustrated about how many in the church are underusing this powerful gift that God has given us to build up the church. Whatever your stand on spiritual gifts, whether you think they are misused or underused, these past few weeks have been really good, haven't they? I know in our homes and outside the church and in our community groups, we've been having good discussions, asking good questions, and really wrestling through what does the Bible say about spiritual gifts and what does it mean for us? If you're joining us for the first time today, we've been preaching through 1 Corinthians, the letter Paul wrote to the church in Corinth 2,000 years ago. And in chapter 12, chapters 12 to 14 of the letter, Paul is writing now about spiritual gifts, abilities that God has given each Christian to build up his church. Chapter 12 opened by saying that if a person claims to have spiritual gifts, but their life looks nothing like what Jesus says it should, they are a scam. They're a fraud. They're just pretending to be from God and we should pay no attention to them. We then learned that every single Christian has spiritual gifts and every single Christian, yes, there's every single one of us sitting here, is necessary for the body to function well. You see, Paul talks about this because what had happened in the church in Corinth is that the Corinthians had started comparing gifts with each other. They saw gifts as a means to, to gather for themselves power and prestige, to puff themselves out. And so in chapter 13, Paul calls them out on their behavior. He says, there's no point in having a spiritual gift if you don't have love. There's no point in having a fancy car if you don't have gas in the tank. Instead of puffing up yourself, love builds up the other. Do we see the difference? Instead of building up yourself, love builds up the other. And that brings us into chapter 14. You see, in chapter 14, Paul is still on the same topic of building up the other. But what he does is that he zooms in on two particular spiritual gifts, the gifts of prophecy and of speaking in tongues. And he wants us to know how to use them to build up others when the church gathers together, sort of like what we're doing right now. And lots of disagreements have been had and ink has been spilled because we've had different definitions of prophecy in tongues. So let me just recap what Paul is talking about. When Paul talks about prophecy, he's not talking about predicting the future. He's talking about saying something that God has brought to mind for building up, encouraging, comforting, and instructing others in the church. 
This prophecy needs to be weighed and considered in community and held up against what God has already revealed in His written Word. It's different from what we see in the Old Testament, the big P prophets who, who spoke the very words of God. That's not what Paul is talking about here. And when Paul talks about tongues, he's talking about believers speaking in a language he or she has never learned and which he or she does not understand. Now, sometimes it may be a language someone else understands, like we saw in Acts 2. Or there may be someone who can help interpret, but in chapter 14, that's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking specifically about using tongues when no one understands and there's no one to interpret. In verses 1 to 12, which Brett preached on last week, Paul says that when the church gathers together, use prophecy instead of tongues. Use prophecy instead of tongues because others can be built up by prophecy because they can understand it, but they can't understand tongues. But remember, don't get bogged in the weeds. Throughout this section, Paul wants us to keep our eye on the main point, which is that love, built up. Look at verse 12. He writes, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Our passage flows out of everything that has just been said in verses 1 to 12. Some of us may have noticed it in the scripture reading already that verse 13 starts with therefore. Verse 13 starts with therefore because in verses 13 to 25, Paul is unpacking what he's just said in verses 1 to 12. And what he's saying is this, when the church gathers together, seek to build up the church because love builds up. Seek to build up the church by using prophecy instead of tongues. So we've got three points for this morning, building up believers, inviting unbelievers, and building up the church, building up believers, inviting unbelievers, and building up the church. If you've been trying to figure out where we are in the sermon, <laughs> sorry to break it to you, everything so far has just been one big introduction. So get, now we get to the first point, building up believers. Prophecy builds up other believers in a way that tongues do not. Prophecy builds up other believers in a way that tongues do not. Look at verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Again, let me remind you, don't get bogged down in the weeds. Keep our eye on what Paul is talking about. When, when Paul talks about the mind being unfruitful, he's not talking about switching off your mind. He's not talking about losing control or going to some trance or, or ecstasy. He's, he's not talking about that. You look at the context, it's quite clear what he's talking about. He's talk, when he talks about the mind, he's talking about the ability to understand what is being said. When Paul talks about the mind, he's talking about the ability to understand what is being said. You see, when you pray in a tongue you don't understand, he says your mind is unfruitful because you don't understand what you are saying. And you're unable to explain your prayer to others. One scholar helpfully describes it as your mind being unproductive. Your mind doesn't produce fruit that benefits others. 
Because neither you nor others can understand what you're saying. Paul's main point here is participation. Building up believers by helping them participate in your prayers. When you pray in a tongue that no one can understand, no one can participate in your prayer by agreeing with you or being encouraged with you. Look at verse 16. He writes, Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say, Amen? Amen is just a way of saying, I agree. I affirm what you're saying. How can anyone in the position of an outsider say, Amen to your thanksgiving, when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. So, my wife Jess used to be part of a choir. If you heard her sing before, this will come as no surprise to you. Out of love for her, I used to go for her performances. <laughs> but it was only out of love for her because, frankly speaking, I could never understand or appreciate or participate in any way in what was going on. Apparently, so I've been told, the choir was very good. <laughs> Apparently, it was award-winning, but I couldn't tell because I'm just about as unmusical as Brett. And I could never... <laughs> You can ask him for yourself. I'm not saying something that comes as a surprise to anyone, okay? <laughs> and I could never understand what they were singing because for some reason they insisted on singing in Latin or any language that was not English. So I could never appreciate or participate in the, the concert because I didn't understand what was going on. And that's a bit of what's going on here. If you pray in tongues that no one can understand, no one can participate in or agree with what you're praying because they can't understand what you're praying. And I just need to point out, that, that tells us something about how we are together as a church, doesn't it? Because gathering as a church is much more than going to watch a movie or even going to watch a concert. See, all of us here we're not an audience watching a performance. We're a church participating with one another and building each other up. See, gathering as a church means praying with each other and for each other. When we hear Jodie's testimony of God working in her life, we say, Amen. We say, we agree. Thank God for working in her life. We agree with her. Gathering as a church means singing together. We sing to God, we sing to ourselves, but we're also singing to each other. When we sing, we remind each other that we're not living this Christian life alone. The truths that we sing are a reminder to ourselves and to each other that we believe these truths together. We declare that we believe in God's truths and we worship Him as a gathered people. Gathering as a church means opening up God's Word together, like we're doing right now. Affirming and applying God's Word to ourselves and to each other. This is not a speech from me to you. This is us opening up God's Word together. And if I say something wrong, I hope you will come and tell me. Hopefully, ideally, lovingly and gently, but come and tell me. Because I'm not giving a speech. We are opening up God's Word together. This is why we can't just watch a video and call that church. 
Because when we gather together as a church, there's something special. There I say supernatural that happens when we participate with and build up each other. But we need to be careful here. Paul is not saying that tongues are bad. Don't, Don't get me wrong. What he is saying is that tongues, if not understood by anyone, if there's no one to interpret, should only be spoken and prayed in private. Look at verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, there are some of us here who do speak in tongues, but have for whatever reason been led to believe that speaking in tongues is bad. So much so that we feel embarrassed to admit we speak in tongues. We're afraid to speak in tongues at all. Scripture is clear here, tongues are not bad. In fact, tongues are good. Tongues are a a spiritual gift from God himself. Paul himself speaks in tongues, and in verse 5, he says that he wishes everyone speaks in tongues. Scholar Craig Blomberg puts it this way, a private prayer language can prove very beneficial and therapeutic to those who use it. Indeed, using tongues in this manner may provide one illustration of the way in which the Spirit helps us in our weakness. When we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Romans 8.26 Tongues are good. Let's be clear about that. And for those of us who do not speak in tongues, or perhaps may hold a different view about tongues, and saying this as someone who has not done this well, we need to, do, to make sure we honour and love those who speak in tongues and are seeking to practice tongues in a way consistent with Scripture. And even as we sp- speak about tongues, let me say uh, something about tongues to a couple of groups of us. Some of us may come from circles where we've been told that you must speak in tongues to reach a higher level of spirituality that you must speak in tongues in order to be a mature Christian, in order to have a deeper level of closeness with God. This is wrong. Now, we need to be loving about this. We need to be gentle in the way we say it, but we also need to be clear because the Bible is crystal clear. Chapter 12 says that God's Spirit gives different gifts to different people. There is no, there can't be one gift that indicates higher spirituality or maturity. The best way to engage other Christians on this topic is to go to Scripture, God's authoritative word, and just unpack together what the Bible says. But we need to do it lovingly and gently. Remember, even if I have all knowledge but have not love, I am nothing. Love is patient and kind. It is not rude. It is not arrogant. It does not boast. Scripture is clear, but we need to unpack Scripture in a way that is consistent with what God calls us to do and be. Now, there are some of us here also who have come from church or churches that may have understood or practice spiritual gifts in a way that we have now come to see as wrong. 
And some of us may be conflicted. There's the fact that our church and the, and the environment we grew up in practice spiritual gifts in a way that is not consistent with Scripture. Does that undermine any growth or perhaps even formative experience or formative or significant moment we had while we were in that church? That's a really valid question. Let me say this, God in His grace can work in spite of imperfect understanding in Christians and churches. I can say this about my own life. I look back on my own life and I see God's faithfulness working in me to bring me to faith and then to grow me in spite of the many things I misunderstood and got wrong. Do you see the difference? This doesn't mean we shouldn't put in the hard work of, of, of being faithful to Scripture, of understanding what it says and then seeking to apply it. We should still put in the work, but it does mean that we, we need to trust in God's grace and faithfulness that He has worked in us, He is working in us, and He will work in us in spite of our own imperfections and misunderstandings. So first point, building up Believers, prophecy builds up other believers in a way that tongues do not. Because others don't understand tongues and so can't participate in what you are saying. Second point, inviting unbelievers. Prophecy invites unbelievers into the church to believe the gospel in a way that tongues do not. See, Paul opens this next section, verse 20, by telling the Corinthians to be mature in their thinking. And then he explains what he means in the next few verses. Look at verse 21. He writes, In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. We, we see the quotation marks in our, in our passage is because Paul is quoting another part of the Bible. He's quoting from the book Isaiah, a book in the Old Testament that recorded messages God had given to his people Israel through Isaiah. Specifically, Paul is quoting a part of Isaiah, chapter 28, verses 11 to 12. And the context of this quotation is really important for us to know. The leaders of Israel had rejected God. And so God had judged them. Foreigners had invaded them as part of God's judgment. And so a sign of God's judgment was that these foreign invaders spoke to the Israelites in foreign tongues, in language that they did not understand. Foreign tongues were a sign of God's judgment. And that is what Paul is referring to in verse 22. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Tongues are a sign to unbelievers of God's judgment. And after you put it that way, the application is quite clear, isn't it? Why would any Christian want to speak signs of judgment into the ears of unbelievers? And more than that, tongues are not just a sign of judgment. They drive people away from the solution to judgment because they drive people away from the church. Look at verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? They will be driven away from the church. And again, the Bible is telling us something about what the church should be 
when we gather together, doesn't it? We have to be invitational, meaning we have to do whatever we can to make sure that everyone feels welcome and wanted. Have you ever been in a group, in a social situation where everyone else is speaking in a language that you don't understand? It's kind of awkward, isn't it? You, you don't really know what's going on, but you don't want to look like you are. You don't know what's going on, so you just try and change your facial expressions based on the tone and what everyone else seems to be saying and feeling. It's awkward, but then that's different from if you realize that they all actually speak a language that you understand. It's different because now they have chosen to speak in a language that they know you don't understand. Awkwardness turns to rejection. You no longer feel awkward, you feel unwelcome. You feel unwanted, and that's a bit of what's going on here. See, speaking in tongues at church is not just a sign of God's judgment. It's also, it also makes people feel unwelcome and unwanted, which is the very opposite of what church is supposed to be. Christ City, are we invitational? When we gather together on a Sunday, it's our priority to make us feel welcome or to make others feel welcome and wanted. So back to our passage. Speaking in tongues that no one understands is a sign for unbelievers, but prophecy is a sign for believers. That's what the second half of verse 22 says. Prophecy is a sign not for believers, but not for unbelievers, but for believers. What is Paul talking about here? The answer is in verse 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Imagine trying to clean your house in the dark. Or imagine during Halloween you go out to, to get to get candy or you go out with, with younger ones to get candy and then someone spills the bucket all over the floor and it's dark and you're trying to pick up all the candy but you can't see where it is. Or if, you, if you're out camping and it's in the middle of the night and you spill something and you're trying to clean it up but you're just grappling around trying to figure out where the mess and the dirt might be. It's difficult, isn't it? Because you can't see where, where the mess is and where the dirt is and that's that's what's going on here. You need the light. You need to, the light to see where the dirt and the mess is and how dirty and how messy it is. And that's what prophecy does. God in His kindness, by His Holy Spirit, shines a light on how dirty and how messy our hearts really are. Even the moldy secrets we've tried to keep hidden in the very dark corners of our hearts. The Bible has another word for that. The Bible calls that sin. And even as we are, we see here, even as we are talking about being invitational as a church, that doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about sin. You see, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the depth of our sin so that we are, as Paul writes, we are convicted 
We are called to account. We are convicted of the weight and the guilt and the shame of our sin. And we realize how far off we are of God's perfect standards. But let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit doesn't stop there. Praise God, the Holy Spirit doesn't stop there. The Holy Spirit shines a light on the depth of our sin so that we can see the depth of God's love for us. Do you see the difference? It's really important we see the difference. God doesn't convict us to condemn us. God doesn't convict us to leave us burdened with guilt and shame and fear. No, He convicts us so that He can save us. He convicts us so that He can free us from the power of sin and so that we would run into the arms of our Saviour who died for our sin. Do we see the difference here, Christ City? We must see the difference here. God doesn't convict to condemn, He convicts to save. Because He has sent His Son to save us. And when we realize how much God loves us, when we see the depth of our sin and therefore we see the lengths that God went to save us for Himself, we would want nothing more, wouldn't we, than to fall on our faces and to worship our King who died for us. And I wonder who of us here are burdened by our sin right now? Who of us are convicted, have been convicted by our sin this week, perhaps even right now? We feel the weight and the, and the, and the guilt and the shame and the burden of our sins and the secrets in our hearts that are just moldy and festering. Would you run into the arms of your Savior? Would you respond in faith in our Savior because we have a Savior and His name is King Jesus? He doesn't love you because you are lovely, but know this, you are made lovely because He loves you. If you do not know what to do, talk to the person you came with. You can come and talk to me or to Brett or, or the people who will be at the cross after the gathering and we would love to walk with you through the next steps. You see, God is among us. God is really among us. And that weight you feel is not just something you feel. It is the Holy Spirit sent by a gracious God working in your heart to win you to Himself. Would you run into His arms? You see, God uses prophecy to invite unbelievers to believe in Jesus and in so doing, He builds up all believers. That's why it writes that it's a sign for believers. He builds up all believers by reminding us that He is really among us by reminding us that He is at work to reconcile people to Himself, which brings us to our third point for this morning, building up the church. Building up the church. Talking about spiritual gifts is like getting to know the tools in a toolbox. You need to know what the tools are and how to use them, but the point of the tools is what you are building. 
You don't buy a cabinet just to focus on the tools. The tools are to build the cabinet. In Christ City, God calls us to build much more than a cabinet. He calls us to build up His church. His church that He loves and gave Himself up for. You see, building up the church is not part of the plan. Building up the church is the plan. And we need to ask ourselves this morning, Christ City, is that our plan? Do we want to build up the church? Because if we want to build up the church, actually, everything we've gone through in today's passage is self-evident. It's obvious. Of course, we wouldn't want to push people away from the church by speaking in tongues. Of course, we would want the gift of prophecy. Of course, we want to be used by the Holy Spirit to encourage, to comfort, to instruct, to convict of sin, to call to account, to reveal hearts so that people worship God. But even as we seek to build up the church, sometimes we hit a roadblock, don't we? And that's because one of the biggest reasons is we get things the wrong way around. We think we need to figure out our gifts before we can serve. And that's the wrong way around. You don't find out you have a gift and then you serve. You find out you have a gift by serving. Let me be clear. You don't have to be gifted to serve. You don't have to be Connor McDavid to play hockey. Can I just point out that I've made a hockey reference in my sermon? (laughs) All of Brett's efforts have not been in vain. If you didn't understand what uh, I was saying, let me explain to you. You don't have to be gifted at the sport to play the sport. You don't have to have the gift of encouragement to encourage someone. You don't have to have the gift of evangelism to share the, the gospel with your friend. You don't have to have the gift of prophecy to share a verse of scripture to the person God has put on your heart. You don't start with the gift. You start with the heart that wants nothing more than to build up your church. And then you get started. You get started by serving the needs that God opens up your eyes to or has given you a heart for. And it is as we serve in community that we discover how God has gifted us. Perhaps it's an area of ministry that gives you particular joy. Perhaps it's an area of ministry that you find you are especially fruitful in or that others affirm that you are very good at. Sometimes the gifting might be for a season. Sometimes it might be for your whole life. Let me close us with an example. It's again about my wife, Jess. (laughs) My wife, Jess, had never served in the youth ministry in her life other than when she was a youth, she was there by default. She had never served in the youth ministry in her life She never considered herself gifted with youth and no one had ever told her that she was gifted with youth. But we had a need for a leader for the 13 and 14-year-old girls and so my wife stepped up. She was nervous and inexperienced and if you've met her before, you know what I'm talking about and she kept, she felt so, so inadequate She didn't think she was the best person for the job, but there was a need, and so she stepped up. And she loved her, she loved them with all her heart. 
And she tried her very, very best to make sure that they knew that they were loved. Even after our, our first son, Josiah, was born, she continued to serve with our son pouched in front of her. And I don't know how to describe to you the gift that God gave her, but God gave her a gift. To this day, she's still in contact with so many of them. Even after we've come to Canada, three years on, she's still receiving messages from them, thanking her and telling her how much they appreciate her. Christ City, don't start with the gift, start with the need. Because there is so much work to be done. Let's build up God's church together. Let's stand as we respond to God's word.